I believe everyone is trying their best. Everyone wants to do a good job. Everyone wants the team to win. Welcome to Design to Be Conversation, presented by Design to Be, and hosted by Design to Be founder and CEO, me, Rachel Weissman. Design to Be is a community for designers to grow their emotional intelligence. In this show, I have conversations with design leaders about how investing in their EQ has impacted their design career. In today's episode, I speak with Jason James. Jason is the VP of Design at Instacart, a grocery delivery and pickup service where he leads product design, brand, and research. Previously, he served as the VP of Design at Thumbtack and was leading design early in his career for Ernest, Intercom, Kin, and Dundun. Jason is a mentor at Made in the Future a program for emerging underrepresented designers. We dive into the competitive field of design and how it fosters hustle culture, the factors that contribute to burnout, and how meditation and therapy can help designers cope with burnout by becoming more mindful in their design process and interactions with others. Welcome, Jason, to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited for our conversation. So when we were chatting through email about what to talk about, we hopped on a short call to discuss the many different directions of emotional intelligence of which we could dive into in terms of relating to a designer. And I loved that it's it's been a theme in recent episodes to kind of pull different themes together and find these different intersection points. And I love for today that you were suggesting to talk about like burnout and the like hustle culture around what's contributing to burnout and what are things that we can do, whether it be meditation, therapy, boundary setting, so on and so forth to navigate this intense <laughs> mindset as, as designers. So I guess to, to start, could you talk a bit about your career and also what led you to choose this topic? Sure. So my current role is VP of Design at Instacart. Um, right now, we're about a team of 110. Prior to that, was doing a head of design roles, you know, various startups increasing in size. So Kin to Ernest to uh, Thumbtack and now Instacart. And then how did I, where, where to start for burnout? Uh, this is a topic maybe close to my heart because I've learned a lot of things the long, hard, stupid way. And if I can, if people can learn things in other ways and they don't have to learn like me through doing, I would love to, you know, help them save themselves uh, some pain and burnout. Should I just, you know, talk about where where it started? Yeah. So where it started and like what led, what drew you to, I feel like that led you to like why the topic, which is, which is amazing. And which is also like a higher level aim of, of this show in general of like, how can we impart wisdom with, with other designers? Um, so in this case, they don't need to go through the uh, burnout. So maybe sharing a, like a personal story of a time that you experienced burnout. Yeah. 
I got into my career, I'm about 20 years into designing professionally. And so I, I got into it full on, you know, straight out of high school and um, started working full time, eventually did school full time while working full time. And I didn't really ever stop to think too hard about like what I was doing to myself, uh, what I was doing to the relationships around me. I spent uh, most of my 20s career building. And and by that, I mean, like, pretty typical, like 80 to 100 hour weeks for most of my 20s, uh, particularly when freelancing, it just started, you know, making decent money. It was like, oh, wow, somebody will pay me $100 an hour. Oh, I can get them to pay me $150 an hour. Like, I'll just take all of the work. I'll say yes to everything because I grew up very poor and was not sure if we'd keep our house and, you know, single mom, all of that. And so I didn't realize necessarily how much of the like financial insecurity I'd internalized. So was very driven. I, I also had, you know, this thing in my head uh, comparing, you know, to folks online of like, how accomplished they were and you know they were younger than me or like i remember uh i was thinking like man bob dylan wrote like blowing in the wind at like 2021 like what what the hell have i done i'm like 26 and i haven't done shit like and so all of this just threw me headlong into my work and it really like came to a head i would say maybe eight years ago, like 2014-ish. I'm doing two weeks in Dublin, two weeks in SF, two weeks in Chicago, where I was living on a rotational basis. And so working across eight time zones, uh, regularly on the road, managing folks in Dublin and SF. And I just feeling like shit from like, not sleeping well, not taking care of myself at all. But even that, like the the warning signs weren't, you know, all the way there. It was my relationships that just had significantly like deteriorated. I, I was seven years into my marriage and feeling like more disconnected than ever. And then, you know, my mom got sick uh, with cancer and not really keeping up with my parents. And so it was just, it was all too much. And so uh, I left that job, paused everything and really like, I think bottomed out from like uh, just going way too hard in my twenties. And so the last eight years or so been trying to figure out how to live with balance because the, the striver in me, the, the drivenness hasn't gone away. I could still work a hundred hours like in any given week, just based on like what the job needs, but I have to figure out how to make it sustainable. Like for myself, I got into it in my twenties uh, as a sprint, but like didn't realize that careers are so long and that like, I, I can't sprint for a decade, you know? And so uh, here we, are and I'm, I'm trying I, over the last eight years to to shift more to a marathon mentality. I very much resonate with the doer and the striver and the achiever. 
I feel like there's been many points uh, throughout my career thus far where it's a fine line. <laughs> it's a fine line. And uh, it's it's hard where I feel like my assumption is many folks listening is, well, the design market's so competitive and I want to be able to become the best designer I can be. And and you have that voice in your head, which which is okay. And it's important to honor the the bar of excellence that you hold yourself to. But I love that you also called out that there becomes an impact on other parts of your life as well. And honoring more and prioritizing more balance for, was there certain moments when you felt like you, or towards the end of your 20s or when you were like hitting this like pivotal point that helped you kind of like take a step back to realize of, okay, I got to make a change or what were the changes that you made? Unfortunately for me, it always ended up taking external circumstances. And so whether that's, you know, a parent with cancer or a marriage on the rocks that, you know, needs much more attention. And so I, you know, I hope it doesn't take that for other folks, but in those moments, uh, what becomes crystal clear is I am living in misalignment with my values and that at the end of the day, like I, I know that my, my marriage is more important to me than anything else. My, my parents are like, not going to be around forever. And mm-hmm. I will have deep regret if I am not, you know, there for the people that I love in most important times. Mm-hmm. And so then it calls into a question of like, how can I more consistently live um, in accordance to my values. And for me, like, I don't think that there's like a solution. Like I've never been done, you know, with this. There's a difference. There's no switch. There's no switch. Yeah. Sometimes there's problems that can be solved. And then other times there's tensions to be managed. And I think that how to live with ambition and drive in your career but also be living according to a broader set of values uh, is a tension to be like managed. And for me, like I found that in order to successfully navigate that tension, I need to regularly be like checking in uh, with myself and perpetually sort of evaluating and course correcting. And that's uh, turned into, you know, a meditation practice where like, living with more mindfulness of where my mental energy, where my emotional energy is going, as well as, you know, therapy to help me tease out sort of like some of the motivations that drive me that maybe haven't always made sense. And then, you know, trying to live with some amount of like grace and forgiveness for when I get it wrong, because like, there's plenty of other times that I am my harshest critic and uh, will be in my ear, you know, telling myself, you are not living according to your values, you're working too much, like mm-hmm. you're a workaholic. And the pathologizing isn't helpful either. You know, it's the like <laughs> being judgmental and beating myself up isn't actually like improving anything. Mm-hmm. So the the best thing I can do is just try to reset and course correct on any given, you know, day the inner critic voice. And I feel like as designers are 
we're like expert problem solvers and problem finders. And uh, from my own personal experience and also from my own research, I feel like I've found that rather than uh, as a result of this mindset, we're like drawn to seeing so many of the problems in the world (laughs) and so much of the negative because it's like, that's a problem I can solve. That's a problem I can solve rather than seeing the, the light or the positive or the more the optimism. And so it's hard when you have, we have this like critic and the judgmental mind is something that I have her under control now (laughs) and I know how to manage her, which is through more like compassion and love and that avenue. But it's a tricky one. With the, I'd love to dive a bit deeper into the, the meditation aspect of things. How did that come to be? Did it result from burnout or, and how have you seen your meditation practice improve your career as a design leader? It did result from burnout. And I've had a few bouts of like a meditation practice. So I first dabbled in it as like, with headspace it was you know gaining popularity and i was like maybe i'll check this thing out and i found some value in it from like a stress relief um and anxiety sort of management perspective it helped me sort of get centered and tune into the fact that oh i was actually internalizing and carrying like a whole bunch of like stress or anxiety then i'd never really like paid attention to my body or uh, what was happening internally and which was very helpful as I like navigated cancer, you know, with my dad in 2017. But then I don't think that was the deeper practice. I think over the last year or two, I started working with a therapist um, and she's like a mindfulness based cognitive therapy, like very holistic. And so she turned me on to this like uh, 10% happier app, which ended yeah. up being like a much better fit uh, for me because you know, Dan Harris, the guy that is the the host of it comes from like a skeptical perspective and more like scientific base as, as well as like connecting with like the meditation, like human being like meditation, you know, mm-hmm. teachers rather than like cartoons in like headspace. And so it just ended up being much more resonant. And it's actually like a far more like robust practice now than just like, you know, 20 minutes of like stress relief. Mm-hmm. But that um, learning to live with mindfulness in all parts of my like day and life, and, you know, off of the cushion, not just like in that sitting. Mm-hmm. So uh, how does it help me? I think I spend a lot of time, you know, in an exec role, most of the, almost the entirety of your job is meetings. And so it's a variety of like one-on-ones with people and then some sort of team or exec uh, sort of meetings. And I think what I can do more now is sustained sort of attention and to have both awareness in the moment of myself and how I'm communicating, how I'm showing up to this person, as well as uh, being more tuned in to, you know, the nuances of what they're saying, to be undistracted and fully present is like, I think such a gift uh, to others and something that makes the conversation far more 
effective than if I'm trying to multitask, if I'm distracted by like X, Y, and Z. And so to, to live with the presence, I think makes me better at my job. And then when I'm off camera to be able to, you know, be tuned in that like, I'm very introverted and like, I need the, you know, you know, the half hour between, you know, the meeting that I get to like recharge and uh, get sort of energized again. And as long as like, I'm tuned in and paying attention to my needs and my energy level, like that sort of thing, it makes this whole thing like far more sustainable, that I'm far less prone to burnout, but operating with far more capacity than uh, I've ever, you know, have in my career. And now for a short break from this week's sponsor. From forest fires, hurricanes, flooding, droughts, and extreme weather, every year sadly brings more proof that climate change is upon us and will get worse unless we act swiftly together. But the most important thing to remember is that the solution is not despair. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's hope. Hope leads to action. We have all the solutions available to us now to not only draw down greenhouse gas emissions, but also help curb climate change. All we have to do is act. If you're a designer or design educator wanting to be part of solving our climate crisis, the podcast Climify is for you. Host and design educator Eric Benson interviews claimed climate scientists and sustainability experts to find out how designers can help combat the climate crisis in their college classrooms. The discussions on this program are geared to help you climify your syllabi to assign projects that not only teach design fundamentals, but also can have a positive impact on our climate. You can find Climify on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to join the conversation and become a climate designer, you can follow the show on Instagram at Climify Podcast or head over to our great teaching resources at climatedesigners.org slash edu. And now back to the show. For many, many parts of myself resonates exactly with what you're saying. For designer that's listening, that is triggered by the word mindfulness, because I know that <laughs> there, are, there are many folks out there that are. And while mindfulness is simply a form of present moment awareness meditation, can you dive into maybe, or even also for folks that maybe have struggled with a meditation practice and it's like maybe sitting is intimidating, what are things that you have done to, on a very like tactical level to make your design process or more uh, design leadership process more mindful or more present or more focused or more aware? I don't think people can actually like multitask and like uh, I've tried to give myself permission to not do that. And so like something that, you know, predates my meditation practice, which I think is a form of like, you know, mindfulness and presence is like, I've turned off all notifications on my phone. Um, like the only like stuff that comes through is like my wife, um, if she texts me or calls me, but otherwise like my phone cannot distract me. Similarly, like on my laptop, all notifications turned off. It's like, because it is very hard to focus and, you know, and in like 
every meeting, it, it, you know, I don't want to be pulled away by like the little stuff in the corner that's like flashing and attention. Like I want people to understand that I am very dialed in to like what we are talking about because it helps them feel valued. And when they feel valued, it creates more trust and, you know, we're going to get better like performance out of them. Like we're, we're going to make more of an impact. So other sort of like non sort of meditation based things. Yeah. I was a bit resistant to like uh, meditation and mindfulness for a little bit too. What was good for me was exercise. There's something very like present about like working sort of hard, whether strength training or cardio that takes one out of their head for a moment and just like helps you like be in that moment, not distracted by work, not distracted by worries. And I think that that's very much what like sort of mindfulness is about is because like, what's the absence of it? The absence of mindfulness for me is like a tumbling forward of like, just being like, striving and perpetually pulling myself into the next moment, never really experiencing like the moment I'm in, but always being focused on planning for the future, strategizing or worrying, striving. But, um, and then I've missed like my actual life because I was planning for the one that's like a week, a month, a year out. I'm getting the chills as you're talking. <laughs> I'm imagining <laughs> like you're like on a, on a tumbleweed and you can't stop <laughs> the tumble. And it's, it's hard to break that cycle. Like that's something that I struggled with for quite a while and definitely some family and friends that are in my life. I know that they still, it's, it's hard because the, that part of you that wants to like plan and ensure that you're set up for success thinks that you're doing yourself a favor, but in actuality, it's robbing you from exactly everything that you mentioned. And I love that you called out being present in order to create more trust with folks. I'd love to dive a bit more into that. Are there certain things that um, with being present to different interactions or ensuring that you create the best container to ensure folks feel the most comfortable? Like, so for example, for transparency, we've only had two conversations. So we had a conversation about what this conversation would be, and we chatted a bit over email, um, and now we're here recording. And with each guest, it's definitely a bit different, but I definitely feel that having this conversation, you are here. <laughs> like you have settled in, right. you've, you've moved in. And that's that's very much a gift. And I feel like that's a huge strength with design leaders and leaders in, in general. So could you talk a bit more about things that possibly you have, you've done in, in the past in order to prime your mind to create this presence? And maybe it is meditation um, or things that you do when interacting with different folks to create this container of presence and trust. I think the other big thing that I try to do to like create trust is just be very candid. Um, and like direct when I take a look at like, you know, my performance feedback, for example, over the years, like the, the consistent theme that I get is, uh, about my communication. And so that it's just like no bullshit. Like, let's just, you know, talk like person to person and 
with and so eventually like it's a whole movement like this like radical candor thing i don't think it's that radical but like i just try to speak with authenticity and like be tuned in to, to like if i'm feeling weird about something i'm saying if i'm feeling squeamish then like maybe i'm like not quite like being like totally authentic and so like how do i say what is like authentic and realistically true but also coming from a place of like compassion and stuff because like fundamentally like also i believe the best in people and so like that uh, when i sit down with somebody for a one-on-one or a meeting or whatever like I, I i believe everyone is trying their best everyone wants to do a good job everyone wants the team to win so if we come from like a place of like okay that's the foundational motivations we're all on the same page then if i have to say some hard things it's just to course correct and help us like you know sort of be better as a team and not because someone's an idiot not because like someone is bad um, but uh, because we want to be better and so i think that level of like candor trust like i don't do the like shit sandwich of like praise saying something <laughs> hard praise cuz i just it doesn't feel genuine for me but i think people can trust that what they see is what they get and that goes a long way yeah and i feel like it's it's especially hard at the beginning of your career when you at least at least for me i very much viewed the like career path as like linear like you are like Ooh. climbing you're climbing the job ladder and you're going from a junior to senior to lead to so on and so forth and that's what you're supposed to do and <laughs> all that stuff and then that trickles into how you're supposed to act how you're supposed to communicate how you're supposed to collaborate the types of products you're supposed to build and uh, i love that you spoke on finding out what things work for you and for you and i very much resonate in this this camp of just like just saying it <laughs> and some people it's it's a little confusing or a little intimidating or a little like off-putting of whoa he just said it which could be scary for people because a lot of people are used to more of this like nicely wrapped container that's delivered to them on a silver platter but having a bit more presenting people with that truth provides them an opportunity to grow, which is like so important as one progresses throughout their career. For sure. On the ladder climbing thing, like I, I did this and, you know, the, the limited advice I would have and, you know, people's mileage will vary will is like, because I got into management by the time I was like 22 and was like leading a team of like 12 and, you know, basically everyone's older than me. And I, I did it for, you know, a few years and had stopped making work, you know, at a certain point, team grew to like 17 and like, I just, you know, wasn't making work. And the thing is, I thought careers were very linear too. And so like, okay, like I'm going to be a designer, senior designer, ACD, CD. Well, like I wasn't very mindful of like, uh, not all ladders are worth climbing. And that like, just because like, it seems like the thing to do is like continue to strive for that next level and to chase success and that sort of thing. I got myself into a role that like, I wasn't happy with like, uh, you know, by 24, 25, like, 
not making work like I was way too early in in my career to like be so disconnected from the making side of things. And so I uh, took a step back and went to like an IC role and uh, reconnected with like the creativity of it. And from there would, you know, sort of zig and zag into like management role, IC role, management role, IC role, but it, it's not linear. And like the thing that I would encourage people and, you know, when I have career conversations with folks on my team, there really is no difference between like whether you make senior designer at 26, 27, 30, like it doesn't matter because like you're going to be in this career, let's call it for 30, 40 years, Mm -hmm. like whether you hit it in year three or year six, like nobody cares. And you won't care in the long run. And the, the, you know, you can say that about senior designer. I'd say that about like VP of design is like whether you make that at 30, 35, 40, never, you're going to make a, if you work in design profession, you'll make a solid living. And like you can, if you're wise, save for retirement and you're going to be fine, you know, one way or another. Yeah. One, I remember I was having a career conversation with my old manager, maybe it was, this was, it was in person. So pre pandemic, so maybe like a year and a half ago. And she said that like much earlier on, she's been at Google for maybe like 10 years or something. So quite a while. And there were, she earlier on in her career, the steps that she took to progress um, were like much slower but like over time, it was, it was, but at the same time, it was very steady. And she, I remember we were talking about just like career growth and things similar to what we're talking about today. And that she said a lot of people that were moving really fast at the beginning of their career, they're now at the same level as her. Because <laughs> kind of to circle back to our conversation in the beginning with burnout, people get tired. <laughs> people get tired. So and I love the like figuring out what works for you. It's like honor- honoring your own career path. And then you'll make those decisions that work best for you rather than the tight structure of what you think you're supposed to do. One question that's been looming in the back of my head that I have a hunch that someone may be thinking is uh, it's easy to talk about burnout in this retrospective way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and okay, and then I'll form a meditation practice and do all this and be more aware, and um, which is true. (laughs) Definitely go start a meditation practice. (laughs) I promise it'll make a difference. And the day-to-day when, say, you have a manager who, or or a culture, so many of us are working in cultures that hold a very high expectation of us, where we have very tight deadlines, and and maybe you do need to work a 12-hour day, or you do need to work an 80-hour week, or that's the culture that you're in. What are things that folks can do on a very like tactical level of navigating where they currently are at to try to maybe create a bit more buffer or cushion <laughs> if they're caught in this, I'm about to enter the burnout zone and I don't know what to do? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. And the, the thing is, yes, I can speak about it retrospectively, but like also I can speak about it you know, right now, because yeah. like, just out of very, the last month or so at Instacart's been quite intense, and I'd probably call it working 70 ish hours the last couple of weeks. And so 
it's not like, <laughs> yeah, I'm at a point where I just take it easy and, you know, clock in my 40 and call it a, a day. <laughs> and so there's some things that I've learned along the way that I think, you know, others can apply. It's one, it's, it's really important to pay attention to like, okay, is this like a temporary spike um, driven by like a project need or a moment in time, like a, you know, intense planning cycle or something like that? Or am I teaching people that like, uh, this is like my sustained sort of like pace, you know, have I normalized this that like, or is it the exception? And for me, like, I can spike and like, I'm fine. Like I'll work like, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week for like four to six weeks or something like that. But like that cannot be like sustained and the normal. And so what it means is like, if it starts to like be like, okay, it's been four, five, six weeks, this is pretty clear indication that like, I need to deprioritize some things. I need to like delegate or I need to like manage expectations to like get this back to like a more sustainable pace. But if it's just a moment in time of like, okay, the project needs are have necessitated, you know, this surge of time and effort. Okay, fine. Another big thing is like to communicate about this stuff with the people that you love that like, rather than like, waiting for like my wife to just observe that like I'm stressed out and burnt out. Like Mm -hmm. it's important to say like, Hey, I think where I'm about to like enter into what's going to be like an intense period or like, and I'm going to need to work more. And so then given that we can be very intentional about the time that like we have together. So like our dinners, you know, we're going to be very focused from like, seven to eight 30 and undistracted in that time period. And then if I need to work, we're on the same page that like after dinner, I'm going to work for, you know, three more hours or something like that. Like the communication and like alignment with your, the people that you love is, you know, critically important. Other practices have been like, there's just some non-negotiables that like um, have to go on sort of my schedule first and our P zeros sort of even above the work because the work itself can expand to fill any amount of time. Like I could literally like roll out of bed, start working, work until I like fall asleep <laughs> and still have like, and I could do that every day because like there's just so much work to be done. And so I have to put in some sort of big rocks like to hold true. And then the work can flow around that. And so for me, that's a half hour day meditation practice, an hour workout, hour and a half, you know, dinner with my wife. And then the rest is like pretty negotiable. And, you know, I'll try and carve out time for like a lunch that I'm not in a meeting or whatever, but like that doesn't always happen. And that's okay. It's so important having an awareness of of those P zeros of those like core values of what keeps you sane. Exactly. <laughs> I think the most important thing for people that are trying to operate at like a sort of senior leadership level, it all starts with like self leadership and like self sort of knowledge and self management. If you can't do that uh, effectively, it's going to be unsustainable in, you know, over years and you won't 
be the like best version that you know you can be for the people that you lead which will diminish your impact amazing so i'm gonna wrap it there and like shift gears to a couple final questions so we've touched on a lot of very like inspirational items around burnout and also very tactical things which have been amazing and meditation and therapy and we've gone down a lot of different directions which has been awesome but all of these weave into this higher level of emotional intelligence. Uh, So from your perspective, why is it important for designers to invest in their EQ? So much of like what we do comes down to care and awareness of others, whether that's in like a leadership role in management or like in designing for users. And so to be dialed in to what others sort of need, what they're craving, what they like may not fully be able to articulate is, you know, core to what it is that we do, whether you're, you know, doing pixels on a screen or uh, leading people to build the next great thing. And so, but to understand these motivations, these wants, these like uh, not fully articulated desires is like core to the practice. And I found like oftentimes that begins, you know, in you and then, you know, with a greater grounding of like self-knowledge and self-awareness, you can flow outwards towards observing it and being aware of it in others. Beautiful. And if you could ask one thing of the listeners as it relates to burnout or the other items that we spoke of today, what would it be? Just try out a meditation practice. I cannot sort of speak <laughs> highly enough about it. Download the 10% Happier app, commit to, you know, kicking the tires for, you know, an introductory course or two and see what it does for yourself. Um, I, I wish I would have done it, you know, much earlier in life. And folks that are listening and definitely heard me talk enough about the importance of a meditation practice. So you heard it, Good. you heard it from Jason. So Thank you so much for your time today. I loved I loved our conversation and loved to getting to know you a bit better. And yeah, thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks for having me. That wraps up another episode of Design to Be Conversation. Thanks so much for listening. If you are curious for more ways to invest in your EQ, to be a more empowered, educated, and effective designer, head over to designtobe.com. That is D-E-S-I-G-N-T-O-B-E dot com. You can take our design process EQ quiz or sign up for a newsletter to receive the latest Design to Be community building, live offerings, and self-inquiry guidance directly to your inbox. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you may listen. Be sure to share this podcast with a fellow designer who's interested in investing in their EQ. And again, thanks so much for listening.